Well, welcome to my family room. Uh, this stay home, stay healthy stuff is really messing with my life because I do a lot of stuff out on the road, meeting with various people. You're probably the same kind of way and you're thinking like, what in the world are we going to do? And stay tuned. We mean, we don't know. And that's one of the things that's kind of strange in this whole situation is we're just so much up in the air. We don't know what to do. Uh, there's, I mean, every day it seems like there's new stuff that comes out and it just kind of puts us upside down. And when I think about what do you do in a context of uncertainty, confusion, and fear, well, what better way to think about but resurrection time? So we're in this short series leading up to resurrection, and where I want to begin is back with a, a gospel presentation, but I want to go to the Old Testament because you don't have to come to the story of Jesus to begin the story of the gospel. So one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is about beautiful feet. Now, I'm not going to show you my feet because they are not beautiful, but there are beautiful feet, and I love it because Isaiah 52, 7 I mean, it's kind of everybody's favorite. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. And there are so many pictures. I love this picture. You know, this woman walking on top of a ridge and she's bringing good news. If you go to the Bible Project and look at the gospel video, they have a whole thing built on the theme of beautiful feet. I uh, just love it. But in order to understand it, we have to come back and look at the whole book of Isaiah. So Hang on, we're going to go really quick, just putting a picture on what is the good news and what's the background of it and why is that happening. So as you know, uh, Israel has been in the land, things are not doing well. And when we look at this, this is Isaiah chapter 2, it's a description of the people there. So when it says they, you know, that's the people who, well, that's, that's Israel. But gosh, look what it is, full of superstitions from the east divination like the Philistines and embrace pagan customs. This is the people of Yahweh. These are the people who are dedicated, connected to the God of the universe. Their land is full of silver and gold and there is no end to their treasures. That sounds familiar. Sound like us. Their land is full of horses and there were no end to their chariots. Well, you can update that a little bit and put in cars and such, electric scooters. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to their fingers they made, so people would be brought low, everyone humbled. I look at that and I think, they're worshiping other gods. Now in their case, the gods are spiritual beings like Moloch and Baal and Astarte and Asherah. And, and they're worse yet, they're practicing their ways. And what they're not doing is worshiping Yahweh and being connected to His way. They're disloyal to the Lord, who is their God, who's brought them out of Egypt. He's done all these things, set them up, and they're not practicing His way. Like, what does that mean? Well, chapter 1, verse 21, see how the faithful city, of course, that's Jerusalem, has become a prostitute. I mean, oh my gosh. That reminds us of Hosea in the story there, but the faithful city become a host prostitute? What is that? She was once full of justice. That's that picture where people are treated the way they should be. Everybody having dignity and rights and being treated according to what they need. Righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderers, your rulers, rebels, partners with thieves. They all love bribes, chase after gifts. <laughs> Again, this is not just ancient word. It kind of rings true a lot. 
But here's the thing, they do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. They don't care about little people. The wealth and privilege gets a, the advantage. And so what happens? The Lord says, therefore the Lord, the Lord Almighty, the Mighty One of Israel, reminding us who He is, declares, ah, I will vent my wrath on my foes and avenge myself on my enemies. Of course, we know what that means. You read through the book, that means that Assyria is going to come and whack Israel, the northern kingdom, and the Babylonians eventually going to hit the southern kingdom and it's going to be bad. The Lord will punish. And these are His people. Why? Because they have adopted the ways of the other gods. They're not doing justice. They're not doing righteousness. But look what it says. I'll avenge myself on my enemies, but why? I'll turn my hand against you, he says. I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all of your impurities. Yeah, the Lord will punish. But this isn't just a vengeful kind of thing. The reason he's doing it is in order to purify them. His goal is always to bless his sinful people. But in this case, because of the long-term sin that they've gotten into, he's going to have to do severe punishment. Does the Lord punish his children? Yeah, he does, actually. When they persist in sin, this isn't they're making mistakes, this is they're persisting in sin. Look what he says. I will purify because I will restore your leaders, as in days of old, your rulers in the beginning, afterward, you will be called, here it is, city of righteousness. That's a good word. The faithful city. Designed to be delivered with justice or penance with righteousness. So we see here, the Lord will cleanse and restore his people. He's going to punish, but there's a reason for it. And when you look at this, Zion will share the character of the Lord himself. This is the God who's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, faithful, loving, just, faithful. Zion will be delivered with justice. What do they have to do? What do they have to do? Well, her penitent ones with righteous, all the people have to do, all they have to do is be penitent. What does that mean? I admit my sin. I admit my need. I say, Lord, help. That's all they have to do. Well, of course, the question is, will they do it? And unfortunately, the news is not good. So let's jump forward to Isaiah 40. This is, in the book of Isaiah, this is actually written from the perspective of being after the Babylonian captivity. So this is a long time later. And this song, uh, just, if you know the Messiah, you know this song, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she received the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Oh, there's hope. The sin has been taken care of, Isaiah 40. How will he do it? How will he redeem Israel? Well, there's another prophecy coming in Isaiah 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him. He'll bring justice to the nations. There's those good words again. He will not shout or cry or raise his voice in the streets. This is not coming with a power or rebellion, revolution. A bruised reed he will not break. I mean, you think of a think of a reed and a bruised, I mean the size of the thing, it'll fall over. He will not break a bruised reed, a smoldering wick he will not suff out. In faithfulness bring forth justice. He will not falter, be encouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. 
What an incredible prophecy. His gentle servant will bring justice to the whole earth. This is what God's desire always has been through the nation of Israel to fulfill the Abrahamic promise to bring blessing to all nations. And the servants can be a key to that. Now, of course, we stand where we're at and we know this is going to be Jesus. But think of the days of Isaiah. All they know is there's a servant coming and they don't know who he is or what he's going to do. So let's follow through a little bit further. Isaiah 51. Here's that same prophecy, but settled differently now. The Lord will surely comfort Zion. And look with compassion on all her ruins. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving, the sound of singing, listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. My justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. Here it comes. My salvation, it's on the way. My arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look to me and wait and hope for my arm. What an incredible, I mean, it's coming. It's coming. And I mean, just imagine what people are thinking as they hear this. It's coming. God is going to do his work. What do they do? I look at this and it's a little surprising. Awake, awake, arm of the Lord. I stop and think, who's singing the song? Awake arm of the Lord. That's not God singing that. Arm of the Lord is a way of expressing his power. Who's singing this song? Could be angels, but we haven't had any angels show up in this whole book. You know, I think what it is, awake, awake arm of the Lord. Awake as in days gone by and generations of old, was it not you who cut Rahab to pieces, who pierced the monster through? Was it not you who dried up, I mean, all these things, the waters of the great depth made a road the depths, remembering this is the bringing the people out of Egypt. Awake, Armidor. Who's singing the song? Who is begging God to move? Well, it's the people. They heard the prophecy. He's near. And what's happening is the people, the people of Israel, people of Judah, God's people are begging, God, come. God, come, please. We need you so badly. They're begging God to come. Isaiah 51.9. Please, God, please come. And God sings a song, beginning of chapter 52. Awake, awake, Zion. And you can see the parallel here. Awake, awake, arm of the Lord, the people are crying. Awake, awake, Zion. So this is God singing to the people. Clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor. That's a celebration thing. Jerusalem, the holy city, the uncircumcised and the defiled will not enter you again. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the enemies will not come in. Shake off your dust. Rise up. Sit enthroned. Free yourself from the chains around your neck, daughter Zion, now a captive. What is God begging the people to do? They begged him, come, rescue us. And what do they do? God begs his people to awake and receive his cleansing. You think they're begging for him to come. But see, are they begging him to come and cleanse them? This sin that we've seen coming up, this injustice, this not defending the fatherless, this corrupt leaders, do they want to see that change? And God is saying, I'm begging you. Receive the cleansing. 
Awake. Awake, Zion. Free yourself. Receive. And then the phrase comes, Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful (laughs) on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say, Zion, your God reigns. Love it. There's so many pictures of this. This is one of my absolute favorites. I mean, beautiful on the feet of the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. And he's coming, and it's going to be beautiful. Your God reigns. What is he going to do? Verse 10, the Lord will lay bare his holy arm. There it is, in the sight of all nations. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of God. It is so, come Lord, quickly. And here it is, the servant. Verse 13, my servant will act wisely. He'll be raised up, lifted up, highly exalted. Oh my gosh, the triumphant servant. He's near. Good news. Verse 13, verse 14. Just there are many who are appalled at him. His appearance, wait, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being? And it, who is this? The servant, the triumphant servant, disfigured, marred? No, no, this is the triumphant Messiah. What in the world is going on here? Who is this marred, disfigured rejected person. Verse 15, so he'll sprinkle many nations. The kings will shut up their mouths because of him. They were, for what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. He's, he's still doing servant work, but who is this marred? I mean, it's, uh, what is going on here? I know, don't jump ahead of me because you know the rest of the story. Put yourself in a place of a person of Israel who's hearing this for the first time. Who is this one? Isaiah 53. I hope it's one of your favorite chapters if you're a Bible person. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord's arm been revealed? We've seen this arm of the Lord coming all the way through here. That's the power of God to come and redeem. He grew up before him like a tender shoot like a root out of dry ground. Speaking of the Messiah there, the servant, it sounds like Isaiah 11. In fact, there's absolute connection back to the promise of Isaiah 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and his roots a branch will bear fruit. That's the one. This word branch, by the way, the Hebrew there is the word netzer. Guess where Jesus came from? From Netzeret. So he's a, he's a branchy guy from Messiahville. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. That sounds so good. That's a gentle Savior. But look at what he says. He had no beauty, no majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. This can't be the Messiah. The Messiah, he's the leader of all nations. How can this one with no beauty unattractive, nothing in him to desire him. That can't be the Messiah. It can't be. This is nobody's superhero. How can this be Messiah? Like, what is going on here? 
Verse 3, this servant despised, rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. No, no, he's the one who's going to work justice. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. He's a rejected servant. No, he's the one who's going to bring righteous to the nations. Like, what is going on here? One from whom people hide their faces, despised. But keep going. Verse 4, surely this despised servant took up our pain, bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted? If he's punished by God, that means he's a disobedient, cursed man. That's Deuteronomy 28. If you obey, you get blessing. If you disobey, you get cursed. How can the servant be disobedient and cursed? Well, because of the way he's living. I mean, it's, it's a horrible way of living. But you keep reading verse 5. This one who is, seems to be punished by God, pierced our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we were healed. Now think of all the hopelessness of people are being conquered by Assyrians, taken into captivity by Babylonians. All the sin that led to that, all the shame by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned our own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And I think of all the stuff, all the sin, all the shame, all the fear, all the hopelessness laid on him. He is the ransoming substitute. This one who is despised, rejected, marred beyond human possibility, the ransoming substitute, pierced for our transgression, crushed for our iniquities, oppressed, afflicted, the servant, the one who has the Spirit of God so much, yet he did not open his mouth led by a lamb to slaughter, and a sheep before it sure is silent, so he did not open his mouth. What I see here is a willing substitute. By his stripes, we are healed. He takes our sin, our shame, our fear to himself so that we can receive his forgiveness, his honor, his willing substitute didn't open his mouth did not just amazing verse 8 by oppression and judgment he was taken away yet who of his generation protested who was his advocate who was speaking up for him he's a, a victim of injustice this is the servant who's bringing us justice, and he is a victim of injustice? 
it's, it's mind-boggling, spirit-wrenching. And it gets worse. He's cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, with rich in his death, though his mouth had, he had done no violence, no deceit found in his mouth. This is, well, again, we know the end of the story. Don't put yourself there. Stay with this. This is the one who's judged wicked in his death? But there's no violence. There's no deceit. He is a servant who's bringing justice, but he is, he's judged wicked and punished for it. It gets worse. Verse 10. It's hard to read. It really is. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Now when I think of crush, I think of the Messiah crushing the serpent. That makes sense, but it's the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer? You know what that sounds like. If you do the kind of work I do in pastoral side of thing, that's divine child abuse. Why in the world? I can see that the corrupt leaders would want to kill him. Now, that makes sense. It's the Lord's will to crush him? You mean the Father is going to punch the Son and crush him? Cause him to suffer? I mean, that's what you call 911 for. What is happening here? The Lord's will to crush him? Fathers don't do that to sons. Not good fathers. Oh, evil fathers do. We've got too many examples of that, but good fathers do not kill their kids. Good fathers do not cause their kids to suffer. Divine child abuse, verse 10, hard verse, hard verse. Keep reading. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, So his life as the servant makes an offering for sin. Okay, we've seen that already. By his stripes we're healed. He will see his offspring and prolong his days. The Lord will prosper in his hand. Who is the he? Who is that he? He will see his offspring. Close reading is really important here. He will see his offspring. Who is the he here? Well, he, back up there, his life, the Lord makes his life an offering for sin. He will see. The he there is the crushed serpent. Crushed serpent. He, the crushed servant, will see his offspring and prolong his days. Yeah, there's crushing here. There is. But there's more than that. There's more than that. 
he will see his offspring in prolonged days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. What is the crushing? Is about an offering for sin. Read the next verse, verse eleven. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. And again, I ask, who is the he? After he has suffered, okay, again, close reading, after he has suffered, he, who is the he? Who is it? See, it's, it's, it's the crushed servant again. He, will see the light of life. This is mind-boggling. This is absolutely mind-boggling. It's the Lord's will to crush him, but the crushed one will see his offspring. And frankly, that's me. That's you, it could be. That's the people of said, yes, Lord, I need your help. But beyond that, after he has suffered death, he will see the light of life. Here is one of the Old Testament predictions that the servant will die and be resurrected again. He will see the light of life and be satisfied. Like, what's going on here? What's the crushing? Seems to me, seems to me, the crushing is what the high priest does to the sacrifice in the Day of Atonement. It's what the Father does to the Passover lamb. The Father takes the Passover lamb and kills it in the Passover day. But this is different. This is different. Because when you kill a goat in the Day of Atonement or you kill a lamb on the Passover as a sacrifice, the Passover lamb is not a willing participant. This is more like Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22. And in that picture we see that the father is going to kill the son. But I think that's what's happening here. The Lord's will is to crush him in order to do the sacrifice. And this is the thing that is so mind-boggling. Because this is not divine child abuse. In divine child abuse, what happens is a powerful father hurts an innocent son for the pleasure of hurting him. That's what that is. Now, you can read that. But this is the most compassionate entity in the entire universe is going to crush his son, who is a fully willing divine participant, and the two are partnering together, both agonizing, both agonizing. I can't even imagine the agony of the father as he sacrifices his son. I've tried to think about this. If I were sacrificing Don, my older son, <laughs> there's no way. There is no way I would do that. 
both agonizing to perform the substitution and sacrifice so we can receive his forgiveness, his honor, his power, his cleansing. But the promise is he will see the light of life. So it concludes, Isaiah 53, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. He was numbered with transgressors, for he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's the picture of the servant. That's the picture of our Lord Jesus. To greatness. But it came through incredible sacrifice. Fully willing. He knew what he was doing. He predicted it multiple times in the Gospels what was going to happen. Fully knew it. Fully knew it. Fully knew it. He poured out his life to death, it says in verse 12. But back in verse 10, the Father will crush him. See, fully willing participant, both partnering, both agonizing, both victorious, because the offspring received the cleansing. So when I ponder this, I mean, this is what we've been looking at in the passage. How far will the Lord go to provide redemption for resistant people? And the answer, beyond any comprehension. Beyond any comprehension. Who can believe this? Who can believe that the Father would go through that level of agony? Who would believe the Son would go through that level of agony in order to take my sin, my shame, my powerlessness, my defilement. How far will he go? There's no limit. There's no limit. Isaiah 1, the key theme of the whole book, Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Your sins are like scarlet, they are as white as snow. They're red like crimson, they will become like wool. That promise. But he goes on one step further, verse 19. If you're really obedient, you'll eat the best things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. Now, that's being specific to Israel, but it speaks to us too. Let's think about it. Doesn't matter how bad your sins are, doesn't matter how bad your shame is, doesn't matter how defiled and dirty you are, clean. Feeling obedient, you'll at the best of the land. That's God's desire. If you resist and rebel, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Here's the choice. And it's our choice today. It is our choice today. Am I willing to confess my resistance? Now, I speak of this as an old man, elder of the church, all those kinds of things, long-time, persistent, faithful follower of Jesus in so many ways, but I still have to think, it's true, where's my resistance? Where's the place that I'm not willing to say, I need your help, God, in my stubborn Missouri heritage. Am I willing to confess my repent, my resistance? See, that's a question you have to think about. For some, am I, do I want to receive his gift of family membership? And the irony is, there are people who do not want to be a part of God's family. Because if you come into God's family, it means you adopt his ways and you become a part of what he's doing. 
some of you are watching this and whether you uh, would normally be gathered at our church building or some of you have never been in our church building because you just stumbled on this by mistake. It's a good mistake. Do you want to receive that gift of family membership? Or maybe think you are a part of the family. Think about it. How much do you like the Lord? Am I willing to give up my idolatry? Jay talked about it last week. With power. That idolatry is taking just things that are good things, but putting them and making them ultimate things. Am I willing to give that up? Am I willing to give up my worship and service of other gods? Am I willing to give up my injustice? Am I willing to consider the widow and the orphan and the helpless person? Do I want to be like the Lord? And I look at this and to the core of my being, I say, I do. I do. I do. What does that mean? Well, Colossians 3 tells us, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, that's, if you're part of the family, that's you. That's me. What does it say? Clothe yourselves. Now, to be sure, God's bringing it. But clothe yourselves. That's the same thing when the people are crying out, Arm of the Lord, come! He's saying, are you willing to do it? Do you want to join in the process? Clothe yourselves with, and there's are divine attributes, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Those are all things the servant showed us. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Do you want to be like Yahweh? Do you want to be like Jesus? I hope so. To the core of my being, I want to be like that the core of my being. So the question is, do I want to love and serve people? Coming back to Isaiah, Isaiah 58, it's all super passages. People are fasting and God is not paying attention. And he says, this is the kind of fasting I've chosen. Loose the chains of injustice. Untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is, and here's what it is. This is the kind of fasting. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. So what he's saying here, sharing your food with the hungry. Now we're in a situation right now where there are unexpectedly people who are in need of food. There are going to be people who, through no fault of their own, will be not able to pay their rent. And what are they going to do? And this is a call for us. Do I want to love and serve people who in this COVID-19 crisis are suddenly without a job because they work in a restaurant? They suddenly can't make rain anymore, and they, their family doesn't live around here. And see, one of the things that we want to see happen at Grace very, very much is for some of us like me, who, at least at this point, my job is not impacted, oh, it's impacted, but my security of my job is not impacted by this. We have resources. Many at Grace have resources. There are others at Grace that are already out of a job. Unemployment? Yeah, that goes a ways, but it doesn't replace a paycheck. The promised check from Washington, yeah, who knows whether that'll happen or not. 
but even does. See, what we want to do is we want to see people who have help. Anything. I can give somebody a ride. I can provide a room for a bit. I can help buy food. I mean, just fundamental acts of simple compassion. To come to Grace, to come to our care team and say, I've got these resources, I'm willing to help, I want to help. And others who are saying, I need help. I can be so prideful that you're not going to let us know about it because we want to be connectors to do the work of the servant in our time today. And when we do that, it says, your light will break forth like the dawn, your healing will quickly appear, your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will crawl and the Lord will answer and you'll hear for help. We're in a scared world. We're in a very scared world. Because the nemesis has come to bring down the haughty and the arrogant. Very scared world and what the world needs, what the scared world needs is a hopeful church. And that's who we are at Grace. That's who we are. Because we know the servant. He works among us. He's a part of our midst. So when you come to the end of this, I love this picture. Now, I'm not suggesting you get a tattoo on your foot. But you don't have to get a literal tattoo. But here's the call. Do you want to have Isaiah 52, good news, tattooed on your heart? It's amazing stuff. It'll change your life. And frankly, the biggest answer to fear that's running our world right now is to not look what could happen, but to look at, say, what could I do to join in the mission of Jesus? That will bring hope in our lives because we're focusing on Jesus and His mission by the power of the Spirit. I think that's the best answer for fear that's running around here, is to come to that spot and say, I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to look for who I can help, who I can love, who I can serve. That's where it comes. And that's our mission here at Grace. We've talked a lot about beautiful feet. We've talked a lot about loving and serving the way the servant, the incredible, spirit-empowered, divine servant come among us. We've talked a lot about what he does and what it means for us to do that. As I think about it myself, I think, what can I do to help? So it's a simple thing. I mean, I live on a street here, and I'm first name basis with most of my neighbors. I want to, like, ask them, how you doing? I've got people in my group of friends that I, some of them I know are out of work because their job, I mean, I'm talking about some of my students at the seminary, they're out of work. I want to ask them, how you doing? I don't want to be a help to them. Why? Because... Following the example of Jesus, I want to think how I can love and serve because in my fearfulness, what if I can find hope through serving? Because I'm using the power of Jesus in that process. And what I want you to do, and I want you to do it real, is I want you to think about how you can be a help. You say, well, I really don't have much. All care, compassion, listening to a story, I'll be here with you. It's huge. We're calling together in this time, and as we look toward Good Friday, Easter Sunday, all these things culminating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we want to bring resurrection hope to a scared world. Let's pray together.
Father, I'm just so grateful that you are the powerful one who is willing to go so far as to crush your son. Oh, gosh. You're willing to do that so that we can share in the cleansing that comes by his stripes we are healed. And Lord, all we have to do is receive it, admit our need. And I just pray for people listening. Holy Spirit, will you convict all of us, those places where we're still resistant to your transformation so that we can admit that, open it, have it broken down by the power of the Spirit so we can share further in being like Jesus. And Lord, I pray for those who are watching who are still not connected in the family. Lord, will you show them the beauty of your servant, the beauty and depth of your love, so we can serve together in the name and power of Jesus Christ in a fearful world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go change the world.